Welcome to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. Today, I have the privilege of being in conversation with an American tattoo artist, graphic novelist, filmmaker, and the co-creator of the Afropunk Festival, originally from New York City, now living in LA, Los Angeles. Please welcome James Spooner. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, th- thanks for popping on. Like, um, I had that 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 really corny inclination of saying "What's going on, Jay Spoon?" But that's not that's not what we're doing. <laughs> Jay Spoon, what you? Would be the first time I heard it. It's that's fine. <laughs> I, I, I had this question I asked someone the other day, and I might try to work it into this conversation. But um, I, I want to start off with um, kind of like how how you present, how you frame yourself, because I gave that copy and paste bio. But for you, what is that most interesting characteristic that you would say this truly defines James Spooner or what have you? Um, I had a an interview yesterday and I had all of these superlatives. This is who this person is, and her response was. First and foremost, I'm a human. And I was like, I appreciate that. So for you, what would be your your kind of thing with all of the, the tattoo artists, graphic knowledge, uh, filmmaker, all of that? What is the thing for you? Well, I, I mean, I definitely uh, put art as a high priority in my uh, daily life. Um, and uh, I don't really know how to get around that. It's, uh, that's just always, at least since high school, been... Um, just uh, a reason to wake up in the morning. Sure. Um, I am a father and I take that very seriously. Uh, I am also a, uh, you know, partner. I'm in a relationship and I uh, work very hard to like not mess that up on a daily basis. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, I'm just a person trying to find balance between all the things I love, you know? Yeah. Balance is important. And when it's off, I I just had that thing in my head. It's like the balance is off. It's almost like disturbance in the force a little bit. It's like the balance is off. And I'll say that to my partner, mostly in those uh, those kind of like interpersonal situations, like especially like an office culture. It's just like, yo, somebody's not in the office today because people are just yelling. Something is stupid. What's happening here? And you just kind of just chalk it up. The balance is off. So, you know, I think being able to maintain balance, especially when you're doing multiple things, because um, you're, you know, art is art is a thing. Like I've kind of looked over some some of the graphic novel stuff and I was like, all right, it's kind of super talented. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Tell me, tell me about the process of putting together um, the graphic novel, the coming of age graphic memoir, the High Desert, and um, and your current um, um, co-curating the second book entitled um, Black Punk Now and a punk anthology. Could you describe the feelings in putting something together? Talk about the process and some of the feelings with revisiting, especially with the um, the um, graphic novel um, coming of age graphic novel High Desert, revisiting some of those experiences. Well. Um I guess just to kind of give a little bit of background, the, sure, please. the memoir takes place over one year in my uh, middle school, high school age time. Um, and uh, I, at the time I lived in this very small town in Southern California called Apple Valley. And there was like, uh, when I say this is a small town, it's like, If you're going from Los Angeles to Vegas and you need to stop for gas, you would stop in the town, the big town that's next to our town, you know, like, (laughs) like our town was the small town next to that town. 
that's really just a town to get gas. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> um, there's no real reason to, to for anyone to like visit or, you know, it's just a American small town, right? Right. Um, in the desert. And uh, in this place, this is where I found punk rock. And I was one of two black kids who was in the scene. And uh, there were a lot of uh, racist, not just like regular racist, like microaggression racist, like that was happening, but just like, you know, uh, Nazi skinhead kids, you know, people just walking to school, people yelling uh, nigger at me, like just as I walked with my trapper keeper, you know what I'm saying? Right. It's like, this um, is not the outfit. (laughs) You know, like, yeah. So, I mean, it's just really like, uh, you know, it it was a, at the time it was normal. So this is just what it was, but, you know, obviously uh, looking back, it was a really like terrible environment to grow up in. And uh, so with the book, I really wanted to, you know, I, I first and foremost wanted to write a love letter to punk rock, you know? Um, But because punk rock is uh, so much of my life, my community, my uh, family, I feel like I was raised by punk rock in so many ways. I also have uh, no problem critiquing it just like you would uh, a cousin or a parent or something, you know? Um, And, uh, you know, the kind of things that, that my friends let slide, um, the kind of racist, you know, yeah, I'm friends with this Nazi, but he's cool kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, or the Nazi says I'm cool. So then I'm good with him, you know, like those kind of things that happen, um, you know, happened to me when I was just 13, you know, these are, those are things that I really wanted to critique because I think there are a, uh, they reflect the larger society, you know? Now, in terms of, were you asking about process or were you talking about like more motivation? So, yeah, it's a, it's a second part too. So the, the okay. second part is, um, is, is the process. And I, and I think I, I want to make it a little bit more general than initially I had it. Can you walk me through the, the, the process of on taking on like, like new work or what have you, like, what is that, that the first thing that you're doing, whether it is in putting together a book or whether it is and kind of maybe dabbling with filmmaking again or anything else that's a creative interest of yours. What is that first thing that you're doing? What's in the middle and what's that, that kind of end of the process? Well, I think I, I'm like a lot of people. I start a lot of projects and, um, you know, sometimes and I, I either lose interest or I don't, you know, mm-hmm. um, and sometimes the ones that I lose interest in, I come back to, or um, I revisit in a different way at a different time when I'm ready. You know, yeah. I've definitely got like more ideas than I have lifespan. You know, to to uh, get to, but um, really, I usually start with a lot of note taking. You know, brainstorming, just kind of like. I do, I, I do a lot of, most of my work outside of tattooing has been really like personal memoir. Even, even Afropunk was like 
a the Afro Punk the documentary yeah. was like uh, I would consider it a memoir. I just didn't put myself in it. You know, I let other people tell my story. You know, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of a lot of like what do I want to talk about in this piece? Like, what am I trying to, I, you know, some there's, there's like, there's a bit of discovery as you go, but I think starting off with like a clear intention yeah. uh, is, is really valuable. So that way you don't meander into places that you don't waste time doing stuff you don't need to do, you know? Yeah. It's like, here, here's the essentials. This is on, on path. Why does this fit? into what ultimately I'm aiming for. And yeah, it's like, Oh, I would love to tell this story, but it doesn't, it doesn't serve the larger story. Yeah. So I have to just drop it, you know? And then, um, you know, once in the middle, like once I'm in it, I usually get this sense by the time I'm in the middle space, I'm like, okay, I've already involved other people. You know, I've interviewed people, I've taken uh, photographs of people, I've, uh, you know, invested other people's time, and I have a certain obligation to them to complete it, you know? Um, And also, I'm kind of like, I always ask myself, like, if I wasn't doing art, what would I just, you know, like, what would I do? I know a lot of people just go to work and then they come home and they watch like five hours of television and then they go to sleep. Right. And I do that. But in that, while I'm watching that five hours of television, I'm also like drawing, you know, I try to organize my day where it's like, what can I do during that five hours? (laughs) You know, like, um, because you know, that's just sitting there seems real. Like I just, I don't know how to do that do you enjoy kind of working on multiple things kind of at one time and just seeing like, all right, I've been working on this. Let me switch gears. I'm running up towards a block. So for instance, I kind of hate it. Oh, really? Like, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I feel like once I could my, commit myself to a project for better or worse, everything else falls away and mm-hmm. I have to just, force myself to stop in order to just like eat or <laughs> walk the dog or, you know, go pick up my kid from school or whatever it is, like um, take a vacation, you know, yeah. like that kind of stuff um, is really hard for me. Mm-hmm. And, but it's also, it's essential to my mental health yes. because I have definitely, you know, in my, in my twenties when I didn't have all those outside responsibilities, just like worked myself into, uh, you know, like I stay up until I feel like my eyes are bleeding and like, I'm sleeping on the, the, you know, like I fall asleep on the keyboard or something, you know, or like, uh, one time I woke up and I just had this, I heard, I was sleeping and I heard this like crack in my neck and I thought it was just like, I don't know, it sounded like a knuckle crack, but, it was like I had there was so much pain. I, I like I broke something in my neck. I don't know. And I like it took like 
it, I won't, I stood up to like, oh, maybe like it was the middle of the night. So I'm like, oh, maybe I'll shower and like loosen it up or something. And I fainted on the way and like my head went through a, with a, a table. Oh, like, no. <laughs> and that was like, because I didn't rest. Like I just, you know, I had this crappy desk and a crappy, like a crappy at workstation, you know? Yeah. And I would just like be hunched over in this bad posture for months you know and it's just like yeah so i have to have these outside things that tell me to chill um but if i had like a second project you know it's like so hard to put aside the first project to work on the second one you know like because i'm always just like i could be finishing this why am i (laughs) yeah um i I do this podcast and I do a movie review podcast and this one takes up the majority of my time and I have the day job. And I'll say I I get crap from from, from my partner. She'll say, like, did you sleep in the studio on the floor again? She's like, you have a bed. I was like, I was busy being productive. She was like, no, you fell asleep after you did a podcast and you were watching wrestling or something. That's what happened. (laughs) And I was like, you know me so well, but it's kind of that thing where. I get energized from like this, the space that I'm in currently, this is where all of my cool stuff is at. This is where I, I, I feel at my freest and I'd never want to put a bid in here. I want to keep it as a creative space and as where I do my work. But sometimes I might get tired after doing like four podcasts in a day and I want to be on task. And I think recognizing, I think you, you touched on it very well of knowing when I need to take these breaks for my mental health and being aware of that, like, if you're doing 15 interviews in a week, you're taking in a lot of extra energy sometimes and talking with folks and them sharing maybe at times intimate details that are a part of their process or what's baked into their work. And it doesn't just go away. I'm actively listening. So I'm like, wow, I am tired. I need to rest. And yeah. it might be, let me take a week off or two from doing this in this way because I'm running a little too, because I'm, I'm in my late thirties. So I'm running a little too, I'm coming up on 40. So it's like, I'm running a little too much now. I need to slow down, you know, take a breather, have dinner. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely, I'm having that awakening right now about my age because, um, I, I booked this like really intense, uh, book tour that, um, is taking me all around the country. And, uh, it's exhausting. It's exhausting booking it. It's exhausting doing it, you know, (laughs) like that. And it's a lot, you know, like, and then I'm there and I'm on and I'm excited. I'm happy, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm enjoying it. And then I leave and I'm like, man, I am exhausted. And I got to do this tomorrow or, you know, I got to get on a plane at 4am because now the TSA makes you wait forever. And all of this, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, it's a lot. And you know, I'm in my mid forties. And if it was, if it was, uh, when I was doing this in my twenties, it was, it was fun. It was chill. I don't remember yeah. stress. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Oh, this is different. This is great. It's like, are you sure you remember it? Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you know, it could be, but I remember even like, you know, going on tour with bands and in, in my, when I was a teenager and like, we didn't have places to stay. We were like dumpster diving for food. Like, I mean, it was real survival out there <laughs> yeah. and we were having the time of our lives, you know? Yeah, so. that's, that's great. Um, 
So I, I got I got this next question. I have a bigger one after this, but I have this next question because um, we'd like to talk about arts and, and culture in this podcast. And uh, it, it's incumbent upon me to ask about like some of the things that from your vantage point, identify a culture or scene specifically in punk from from your experience. Like, what do you what would you say are some of those traits that you're like, that's punk that isn't and that may be a weird question. But what are some when you think of punk, what are some of those things that pop in your head? Uh, I definitely have, I definitely have strong feelings about what I think is punk. And, uh, I guess I should preface by saying that like punk rock has been around for over 40 years and 40 years is a good amount of time to build a diverse community, you know, with a lot of opinions and a lot of lanes, you know? So there are lanes of punk that I have zero interest in. And, um, you know, if I stumble across those worlds, I feel like, yeah, these aren't my people, you know? Yeah. Um, and then there are the opposite, right? So for me, like, and I, and I, I traveled through a lot of it throughout my life, you know? So, for me, where I landed in my kind of like heyday was uh, the DIY punk scene, which is very focused on putting on our own shows, not worrying about like the uh, the club circuit, um, putting together you know zines, putting out our own labels. You know, like I was a kid in high school who I, like the lane of punk I lived in was we as a community did not buy records that had barcodes on it. Like that was a stance. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, which meant that you really couldn't buy records at a record store, you know? Um, and this was in the 90s when record stores were where you got records. You know? right. <laughs> so... Um, so it limited the the lane. It didn't feel limited at the time, you know, because there was because kids were so productive. But uh, you know, I got records at shows. You know, I had my own distribution. I had my own record label. Um, I traded records uh, so that I could sell records at shows that were uh, of other bands, you know, and other labels. Um, and it was, it's really a community that feeds into itself, you know? So that's a lot different than, you know, the New York hardcore scene that is reliant on record stores and all the various bars in, you know, in the city yeah. or um, the Warp Tour kind of punk scene, you know, or... I don't know. There's, there's a lot of different like lanes and it really, I think a lot of it has to do with like um, where you live, you know, sure. yeah. uh, because if you're in like the suburbs, you don't have access to bars or whatever yeah. that are also doing all ages shows. So you're going to put on a show in like the BFW hall or in your friend's basement or something. And Although I lived in New York City, I liked that stuff better. So I traveled out of New York City on the weekends 
to go to um, to that lane, you know? And it's also way more political and engaged and just not about like being like a tough guy or something, which was a lot of what New York was about, you know? Mm, that makes sense. That makes sense. Thank you for walking us through that. Yeah. Um. So we've had some experiences. I want, I want to talk about this, this question here. Um, having a wide, a wide array of interests that aren't quote unquote black. I, I had a hard time in middle school um, and in high school. And ironically, I started to come out of it, like not really fitting in, not feeling like, Oh, am, am I black enough? Am I this? Am I that? Um, and I went to an HBCU and that's when I started to come out of it, but I still struggle with it at times. Like, Hey, I like Japanese wrestling. That's not black. There's only one black story. Or I, I remember I met one of my good friends uh, at the time, I, I knew that he was straight edge and he was like, I didn't expect a black dude to know that. And I was like, I'm listening to the bra bravery and a mix of that and like the clash. So I'm just here doing this. Um, and I've become more discerning with who I spend time with and, and, and who I invest energy in because I'm aware of that now. Mm -hmm. So I've come across this notion of finding a tribe. Can you describe what it means to to find your tribe and, and what was that kind of moment for you? Um, or are you still experiencing that and kind of like as you matriculate and, and get older? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that looking for a group of people who understand you, make you feel validated or like make you feel like a, a valid person, you know, like those are quests that probably everybody is going through at some point, you know, but it's definitely more difficult if you are in the minority in, um, in a community, you know? <laughs> so being a black punk rocker as a, as a, as a teenager, there was definitely a lot of like prioritizing, you know, like, okay, am I going to, do I want, do I want to hang out with the black kids because they're black or do I want to hang out with the kids who like the same kind of music as me and have the same politics as me and whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, and it is, that's, I feel, I really feel for people who don't have an option to like pick both, you yeah. know? And, um, I lived in New York city. So it was, and I went to a school that was very like racially diverse um, and I lived downtown in the village. So I was able to mix, I was able to like hang with kids of color who were into uh, the stuff I was into, whether it was punk rock, skateboarding, you know? I mean, I was in Washington Square Park, so I was hanging out with rapers, like whoever, you know, just like yeah. the weirdo, right? Um, and a lot of them were black and or people of color. Um, so, it wasn't terrible, but then when I started, like I said before, going to the suburbs yeah. to see shows because that felt more uh, like the kind of punk that I wanted to embrace, then I was hanging out with a lot of white kids mm -hmm. and I couldn't help but feel out of place at times, right. you know? I couldn't help but recognize their privilege in a way that they didn't and this was like before we were as a society talking about privilege, you know? Right. Um, and, uh, you know, 
I think that like, there was definitely a time where I was like, fuck this punk shit, hanging out with black people. And, you know, I moved to Crown Heights. I was like in the fucking thick of Caribbean culture. I'm Caribbean. So I was like, these are my people, you know? (laughs) And I quickly realized that like, I'm, I don't jive with the mainstream regardless of what race they are, you know? Yeah. So, um, I love my family, but I'm not down to go to church. You know, I'm not down to like watch Tyler Perry movies or whatever. Like this just, it, it doesn't, it doesn't like move me, you yeah. know, they move me, yeah. but that doesn't move me. Right. Um, but that isn't, but, but I would re- it, I don't want anyone to hear that sentence and then be like, Oh, well, you can't hang out with black people because I did. I found, um, you know, I was a DJ and party promoter. I like soul music. I DJ that kind of music. And I found like the house scene. I found the, um, you know, that like kind of early neo soul scene or whatever. And I recognized that that was a lane of black weirdos that uh, were just not necessarily punk um, or into rock and roll. Though there was a very eclectic taste, we were there to like dance. Right. And I liked that. I liked that. And I liked hanging with those people. But then I started to miss punk, you know, so that's when I made, I started making Afropunk around that same time because I wanted to explore this very question, you know? And in this exploration, I found that not only do black punks have similar stories of like feeling like outsiders, but a lot of like quote unquote normal black people feel that way too. People who like, you know, just work a corporate job, people who like were the only black person in their fraternity, people who, whatever it is, like, there's all like, there's, there's always this, this, like, this lane of this monolithic lane of what black people are supposed to do. And then there's all the other black people, Yeah, you know? Yeah, right. And I feel like, I don't know if there's more of the others or not, you know, it doesn't feel that way, but you know, the other day I was in the park and I was listening to this, uh, what is it? Like the, the guy, the, the maintenance man for the, for the park, right? He wasn't yeah. just a maintenance man. He was like the gardener, yeah. like the, the caretaker. Yeah. You know, like he, and, and he was talking to his friend or he was talking to some guy about how black people don't do this job. Right. Black people aren't like horticulturalists <laughs> or whatever, you know? Yeah. And um, and I was like, what a boring life that black people have to live, (laughs) that we're not allowed to be, we're not allowed to garden. You know what I'm saying? The other day, my kid was, uh, you know, she's into rock stuff and she's learning bass. And she was talking to her cousin, who's just like super basic. And she was like, you're playing bass. That's some white people shit. And I'm like, bass? No, you know, like, <laughs> like, are we that like, you know, like we're so tight and conservative as a, as a, as a, as a people yeah. that we can't, that even when we do some authentically black shit, like play bass, it's yeah. like, you know, but are you playing hip hop songs on that bass? You know, like, <laughs> you know, I mean, cause if you're not in the roots, then you're not like, you can't be in a band. You There's know? no instruments for you. 
I mean, it's just, it, 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 it's, you would have to laugh because it's so ridiculous, you know? So, um, so that said, you know, in making Afropunk and creating, uh, you know, doing shows and, you know, I was finding my community of like, oh, I don't have to compromise. I can find black weirdos who are like into rock and who are into um, just other stuff, yeah. right? Like, I don't even care what kind of music you listen to. If you're into Japanese wrestling and you're a black person, we probably can relate. You know what I'm yes. saying? So I'm into that. I'm yeah. into those kind of people. Um, that said, it's like, now I live in Los Angeles. Los Angeles is super segregated in a way that New York is, New York is segregated, but there's just, it's different. All right. So now I find myself missing black people, you know, yeah. like I have black friends, but um, not as many as I had in Brooklyn, you know? Right. Um, so when I find myself in a room and I'm like one of a few people of color or the only black person in this collective of dinner party or whatever, like there is a morning, yeah. you know, I do feel a loss. Um, but I'm also thankful that I know that it's not impossible. You know what I'm saying? Cause there, I, I feel like there are a lot of black people who, uh, seclude themselves into a world of white people and don't believe that there are any black people out there that right. they could connect with, you know, and that feels like some internalized racism, you know, because they haven't even given their birth community a, the choice to, uh, or, or the, op they haven't even delved in far enough to find that like, Oh, you know what? Not all black people are, you know, I don't. I, I don't want to even make a stereotype. Whatever the yeah. whatever like the, the super basic black thing is, you know, yeah. like we know. While, <laughs> while you're watching verses uh, or whatever the thing is, and I, I I think that it's interesting. Like you know, I like I like that you use like the, the the term like black weirdo, and you know, my my partner's from Brooklyn. Y'all around mm -hmm. the same age, and she uses that terminology all the time. And she was a, you know, and still is a huge Prince fan. And she was like, yeah, that was like the first black weirdo in my, and she was like, that's who I look for. And like, these are the people that I want to be around. And she's like, yeah, putting on eyeliner and I'm doing all of this different stuff. But then like now she looks like a Bratz doll. She, you know, she has like the red hair and, and she knows these things about herself and she writes really off color comics at times. And it's all of these different things. And she was like, I look like this, but I love horror movies and I drank beer. And these are things that quote unquote black women don't do. And, and, and I'll, and I'll leave on this uh, before I go to this, this last and final real question. Um, I, I go to um, blurred con. It's a, you know, event for blurreds. And sometimes they're, you know, it's a focus in that area, but it's also inclusive. And I think some people kind of miss that. And it's like, you're around people who have l similar interests. And, you know, you might not have like the same anime you're into, or you might not be reading the same comics, but you're here under this kind of umbrella, this kind of banner of this is fandom. This is stuff that you're into. You'll enjoy this. This is fun. Mm -hmm. And, you know, which is proof positive that your people are out there. Sometimes it might take a little more work to find them, but once you find them, that's a tight knit community. 
Yeah, I mean, and I think that that's the thing is like, um, it takes somebody to organize it, right? Somebody was like, okay, like, uh, I want to have a convention for Black nerds, for, you know, people who are into, like, fandom, right? I can't be the only one, you know? (laughs) Right. (laughs) And then they... They do it, and then every then the people come out, and they're like, "Oh, hey, I'm one of those too," you know. <laughs> and that's you know, I think that that is that's what happens when people are vocal and organized, and uh, you know, and challenge the status quo, right? Right. We and we need that, you know. the The mainstream will always there. There will always be a mainstream, and we need that mainstream so that we can push off of it and be underground, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, that's just, it just has to be that way, but it's, it's, it can be a painful journey. I agree. I agree. Uh, so this is the last real question and it's a bit of a ridiculous question, but also I think it could be a timeless question. I mean, a time, a time, a, 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 a time, a timely question. Um, <laughs> if you were to go back um, on the road, and I, re- I I know you talked about this a little bit as far as the book goes, but if you would go back on the road and do a temperature check and create like the Afropunk 20 years later kind of doc, um, because we're more than 20 years removed, it was 2001 when you were doing a lot of the filming, right? And it was released in 03. Mm-hmm. So what do you think you would like learn? What do you think that you would kind of grab about the scene, you know, within like the black punk scene, like, now versus uh, over the last two decades versus what was in the original doc? Um, well, the, I think the main, the main difference, like all the things that are in the Afropunk doc, I think are still things that individuals experience. Sure. Um, but the difference overall is that there are more loud uh, black and people of color in the punk scene who are organizing, like I just said, right? Yeah. Um, and there are, I've met and gone to uh, the events of of several um, different, let me, let me start again. I mean, as of now, there are, I don't know, seven to 10 different festivals slash collectives of uh, POC punk that, that are focused on POC punk, sure. right? Um, and almost all of them are organized by black women or uh, black non-binary people. And I find it interesting that they don't focus on black people. They focus on people of color um, within the scene. And, um, and I think that that's just a reflection of, uh, the times maybe, you know, but, you know, it, the overwhelming feeling that I get is that punk is either a lot more Brown than it used to be, Mm -hmm. or the Brown people are a lot louder than they used to be. Mm. Right. Um, I think that, or I know that most of these festivals, uh, these organizers created these festivals in reaction to Afropunk, not Mm -hmm. the film, but in reaction to the festival. Right. You know, 
because the festival doesn't represent that. Right. You know, I think uh, the stories I've heard is that, you know, they're young, they were younger kids. They were, they heard about Afropunk back when like it was still, uh, had some rock and roll stuff happening, you know, and, and they were like, oh my God, I want to go, I want to go. Then they finally went and they were like, oh, this like is corporate. This mm -hmm. is um, like, I mean, it's cool. You know, like we get, I'm not going to sit here and say that Afropunk is irrelevant. Right. It's not at all. Um, it's valuable, but it doesn't have punk values. You know, right. it's just not, it's run, it's owned by a billionaire, you know, it's owned, it's owned by the Essence Corporation, you know, like they, it's not a uh, DIY venture by yeah. any stretch of the imagination, you know, so the rock and roll bands that they have, it's just paying lip service to the name that they acquired, you know, in order to keep the, the brand. But, you know, it's, it's an R&B festival and that's fine, yeah. you know, but these kids who were searching for their people got there and didn't meet their people, you know? Right. So they were like, well, fuck it. I'm going to do my own thing, which is how, uh, how like things always happen. It always grows like that. You know, the underground is always reacting to the mainstream. So, you know, Afropunk started off as underground, you know, and then it became mainstream. And right. then, so the underground has to react to it against it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, I guess to, to answer your question, it comes back to the idea that, you know, when I made Afropunk, the movie, it was because there was no conversations happening around uh, what it means to be a person of color in this, uh, this progressive white community. Right. You know, now those conversations are happening all the time. And there are... Uh, there's, you know, Break Free Fest in Philly. There's Punk Black in Atlanta. There's uh, Black and Brown Fest in Texas. There's Chicanas in the Pit in Texas. There's uh, Decolonize in London. There's Decolonize in Berlin. Like, it's happening all over the place, yeah. you know? Um, and then in LA, it's so brown that they don't even have to call it anything. It's just a brown <laughs> scene. You know what I'm saying? Like, so it, it, it's just a, this thing where I wouldn't have even needed if if I grew up right now, as a in my early twenties or teens, I would never even think to make Afropunk because I wouldn't need to because we're already talking about it. Yeah, See what I'm saying. I dig yeah, I dig it. So. That's the end of like the real questions. And I got a quick couple quick rapid fire questions for you. Mm -hmm. Don't overthink them. Don't belabor them. Because uh, we, we, we always do it. Um, Clearly so I'm, I'm chatty over here. So <laughs> No, 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 no. I, I appreciate it. And I'm like, it's, I think in recently watching the, the doc, it's almost like this extra layer of uh, being immersed into like what's going on, what's baked into the work. And um, and also watching several interviews of yours on YouTube. I was doing some stalking. Sorry, James. I don't know if to tell you. It's, it's all good. It's good. I hope that I'm saying something different here. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> uh, so, all right. First one. Um, do you collect anything? And if so, what do you collect? Uh, I used to collect books. I had lots but i got rid of a lot um i don't i don't really collect anything right now cool. no. um 
this is a word that I, this is a question I really like. Um, what is your favorite word in a language other than your primary language? Oh, um, well, I really like the name Sheboygan, <laughs> like the town of Sheboygan. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. It's the Native American word. I've never been, but I just really like saying that word. Yeah. Um, so I would use that word, Sheboygan. Okay. Say it. It's fun to say. Sheboygan. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I put a lot of oomph on that, didn't I? Uh, what you, you mentioned, like putting in those hours watching some television or what have you. What, what have you most recently um, binged? Okay, most recently we just finished. Uh, we just finished Stranger Things. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, that wasn't super interesting. Oh no, not not at all, not at all. I mean, I can I can talk about Stranger Things all the time. I mean, what are oh, we, what are we? I'm also I also just binged uh, uh, Dear Victor. Okay, I've not seen that. It's fun. Okay, it's, it's fun. I watch a lot of horror movies over the weekend, so I was just like watching uh, In the Mouth of Madness, which is, <laughs> I believe it's a uh, John Carpenter, and I was like, this is a bit much. It's like, do you read Sutter Kane? <laughs> yeah, I, I can't even have a conversation with you about horror. Stranger Things is as scary as I get. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I mean, I watch a lot of horror movies. <laughs> um, what was your first show or album that like you you got, you know, like you could have went to a show, what have you, and you talked about how albums in that situation earlier. So either or first show or first album. Uh, well, you can read all about my first show in the high desert. <laughs> nice. um, it's a great plug, my first, my first. OK, so actually my first first show, the first band I ever saw was Shanana at um, the Victor Valley uh, Fairgrounds. Yeah. Um, and you probably don't even know who Shanana is. I, I might know who Shanana is. They're like, uh, they're kind of like a fifties, re like revival kind mm -hmm. of like, you know, in the seventies, people like the fifties. So they were kind of like, anyways, it's stupid. Um, <laughs> then my first, my first like show in the scene was a Christian metal show, uh, which is, uh, uh at the Apple Valley community center. And, uh, that's in my book. Mm -hmm. And then my second, my first real punk show was uh, this band Violent Outrage played at Rack and Roll. And what's great about that is that that show is on YouTube and the person who filmed it got bored of the band, walked <laughs> into the audience, found me <laughs> and started talking to me about music. And I was like such a poser. I was like, oh, I don't know. Uh, sex pistols but um but it's proof that uh, like it's like proof of life i was 14 years old or 13 years old i've been around there's a vhs you know yeah. of me at a at my first show it's amazing that's that's fantastic okay here's the last one and mm -hmm. this is a little bit of a softball but it also might be a little trolly uh <laughs> name a four-letter word that starts off with the letter p P? Yes. A four-letter word, like a bad word? No, no just, letter, just, word? just four letters, yeah. I don't know. Pale? Okay. It's interesting you didn't say punk. Interesting. Very interesting. Oh, a little, yeah. little trolley. A little trolley there. <laughs> Damn, <got me>. <laughs> <laughs> hey, one of the questions used to be, what's your favorite, um, the first word, the first letter of your, fa your favorite curse word? And just, I kept getting F. I was like, wow, this is very, it's a very sailory audience here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean. Obviously. So, so um, I, I want to thank you for being on this podcast. This has been a lot of fun. And um, 
And, and truly, it's been a, been a lot of fun. It's been a true privilege. And I want to invite and encourage you to tell the fine folks where to pick up anything, pick up your book, all of that good stuff. Um, pretty much the floor is yours. Shamelessly plug and tell folks where to find you at online and all. Thank you. Um, all right. Well, I'm easily accessible. Instagram, uh, Spooner's No Fun is my uh, handle. That's also Facebook slash Spooner's No Fun. Um, my tattoo work is uh, Monocle Tattoo. That's like the eyepiece monocle. Um, and uh, you, those are also my dot coms, Spooner's No Fun and uh, dot com and MonocleTattoo.com. Uh, if you want to get the book, The High Desert, it's, you know, it's a, it's a major publication. So you can get it at any bookstore or you can order it through, you know, it's just type in The High Desert, James Spooner, and you'll find a bazillion places to get it, you know. Um, and uh, you can watch Afropunk for free on YouTube. And that's about all I got. Oh, you can, you know, you can contact me for tattoos if you're in L.A., I do both vegan tattoos and specialize on dark skin. So, because uh, you're you're you special. You came up with the vegan tattoos too, right? I was the first person in California to do them. Big shout out to you on that one. I, I think I'll have to hit you out when I'm out there in LA. I'm planning a trip, so we'll we'll, we'll be talking. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Give me some fun nerdy junk. I'm down. I'm here for it. Uh, <laughs> So, so there we go. That's, that's pretty much it for the podcast. So I want to, again, thank James Spooner for coming on. Spooner, you're, you are fun, I'll say. <laughs> uh, and I'm Rob Lee saying that there is art, community, conversation in your neck of the woods. You just got to look for it. Yeah.